Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews. Again, chapter 4, continuing the theme. The theme is the old covenant sympathy and new covenant empathy. Old covenant sympathy and new covenant empathy. Let's read our usual verses from verse 14. Please keep your Bible open, for we will be referring to other portions of Scripture. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, again, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the songs of Zion that we have been singing. We thank you, Lord, for every heart that is opened to your spirit every heart that is now open to your word. And Father, we thank you above all things for your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his precious shed blood. He who is our Redeemer, Savior, our King, our Master, our Lord, our God. Thank you, Lord, that we're found in this house this morning. And others are dying without you, Lord. Yet, Lord, you have us here to remember you. And you've placed it in every breast to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign over all. You're still on the throne. And you're in control. So now, Lord, we ask you to take your word and wing it to every heart. And glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Old Covenant Sympathy and New Covenant Empathy said we've taken our time. There will be another week, at least after this one. Um, I've so much to show you. And the idea being that what we want is for you to understand that as a Christian, as a born-again believer, receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, that God knows everything about you. We're always hearing when we're growing up, you know, now you know God sees everything. You know, that's the big stick, God knew that one. But we want you to see this morning, believer, that God knows everything about you and he loves you. And he loves you as though or as you are in his son. He loves you as he loves the Lord Jesus because you are found in him. And the preciousness of Christ to the Father Now, because you are in him, you are that precious to the Father. In fact, the Father gave his Son to buy you, to redeem you. And he loves you with an everlasting love, a deep eternal love. So when we are feeling our waywardness, and we're feeling our humanity, and we're sensing our carnality, and we're understanding our frailty, And when we're thinking to ourselves that God would never receive me or God would never want me 
or God would never allow me to be in his presence, to come before him again. The idea of this is to show you that not only that God and Christ in particular himself, he is God in flesh. And as God, he, he knows all about you. But as a man, God becoming flesh in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. As a man, he knows what it's like to be human. And as a man, he not only knows me as God, but he understands me. He understands you as a human. Now, we do believe in walking right before God. And we do believe in walking in righteousness. And we do believe in serving the Lord with all our heart. And we do believe in living a holy life. And we do believe in not going to places of ill repute and uh, and dirtying the name of Christ. We do believe in what we say and what we do and how we react and how we live our lives. We do believe in living right for him and glorifying him in our lives. So please put that notion out of your head or anyone else that would hear it that we do not believe that we do. But what we're saying is as human beings in our frailties, every day without even knowing it, you and I are failing God as Christians. As humans. But every day we live in grace. Every day he gives us the strength to carry on. Every day he forgives us over and over and over again. Every day it's his grace that we're living in. We're saved by sovereign grace and we're kept by that same sovereign grace every single day. So maybe you've backslidden in heart. Maybe you haven't been what you think you should be, whatever that is. And maybe you've been weak and you haven't been in the place of prayer or you haven't been in a place of worship or you've fallen away from studying or reading or God's word, even being devotional toward him. And you think, maybe God would never accept me, accept me as I am now. I've come too far, I've strayed uh, too far away from him. God's invitation to you right through these weeks has been come to me. That no matter your thoughts, no matter your ideas, no matter your waywardness, no matter your sinning, God's heaven is open for you to come. No matter the problems you find yourself in, the stresses that have come upon you, the pains and the anguish and the anxieties that you find yourself in, God's Heaven is open and the throne of grace is there for you to come to him. Come right now in your seat. When you're sitting listening to the word, your heart can come to him. When you're worshiping and singing the songs of Zion, we come to him. You've gathered together here this morning. Brother, sister, do you know that this is not of yourself, that you're even in this room this morning? That's not off yourself, but the Holy Spirit has placed the, the will, the want, and the desire in your heart to even be sitting in your seat this morning. So people say, well, if God spoke to me, God has spoken to you, for God has spoken to you in the sense that he has brought your heart to this place, caused your body to move according to the will of your heart, which is touched by him. And you're here not by accident, Not even by a human invitation, although that may be something that has happened. You're here by divine appointment for God wants you to come to him and wants to speak to you this morning. Wants you to hear his word and and to know how much he loves you. What he thinks of you. To know his great forgiveness for you. 
Now we have looked at a lot of that. I think this is part 12 of this. And I want to move on. I wanted to show you, I finished here last week. And I want to show you how we finished where God has reconciled us to himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18 tells us that God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I, whose sins have separated us from God. You and I who are, are dead in our trespasses and our sins, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, you read on down there. And Paul tells us that we are like dead people toward God and the Spirit of God comes and quickens us, makes us alive to see our need of God, to see who we are before God without him. That is that we're sinners and we're lost and we need a saviour. And God has sent his son and in the mind of God in eternity, his son would die before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. And he would die for me and he would die for you. And God looked at this and thought this and wrought this plan out In fact, I'll look at maybe a bit more of that this evening's message. But in that, God brought salvation to you and I. You and I could never save ourselves. We have no hope. We have no way. We have no chance. And man tries to save himself by believing in a certain philosophy or ideology or psychology. Try to save themselves by thinking uh, they're, they're good enough for the kingdom of God. To thinking that they're... Uh, They're going to heaven because they're a creation even of God or a God in their minds. And they think of their denomination, that the denomination will bring them to heaven or all these sort of things. But salvation is a person. Salvation isn't in Elam here. Salvation isn't in a pastor uh, and a preacher. Salvation isn't in a a priest or a a pontiff or or a pope or a, a primate, a prelate. Said primate there. Or a primate. Salvation isn't a person, one person, one way, one direction to God, one avenue, one road. And it's through the Son of God Himself and in no one else and in nothing else. No matter your your sway, no matter what you think or how you feel or what you've been taught, the Bible says that there's only one way. For salvation, and that is in Christ Himself. Through Christ Himself. In Christ and in Christ alone is salvation. Receiving His finished work on the cross as the full payment for our sin. Receiving His finished work on the cross to say, Lord, your work that you have done, your death, your burial, your resurrection, that shedding of your blood. It's enough and more than enough to pay my debt, to pay all that I owe, every sin that I've ever committed, the very nature that I've inherited from Adam. All of that pays my redemption. I must believe, receive. I cannot achieve. Whenever we're reconciled to God, it's when we are in Christ then, when we receive that and believe that with all our hearts. And even of that, that's not of yourself. Do you know those thoughts that get us, and Christian, you know, remember when we were first in a gospel meeting, 
or we were maybe at many gospel meetings, but the first time in a gospel meeting, when we heard the word of God, I mean, not just with the ear, but we heard with the inner ear, with the inner man and the inner heart. And it made sense to us and there became an interest in us and there became an understanding to us of these things of God that there's a sphere, there's a a realm of the spiritual world that we have never known existed before. It was always 2020 vision. It's always the carnal touch. It's always a human understanding and intellect and intelligence. But suddenly it all makes sense. Or or else at least questions come and the questions lead to something else in our hearts that brings us to something like this. To this place this morning. Do you remember that time, Christian, when you were there? and Then you realized, yes, I do need a saviour. Christ came into our life. Well, if you can remember that. And remember where he has brought us from that moment in time when we surrendered ourselves to him. We stepped into Christ. It meant we stepped into God. And when we stepped into Christ and stepped into God, first of all, we realized that God had stepped into us. And we're one spirit with the Father. We're one spirit with him, joined together in Christ. So we are reconciled to God and Christ. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 19. Says God was in Christ. We stepped into Christ. We stepped into God. God had already come into us to draw us into him. So God was in us. We stepped into God in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses Unto them. Notice that. Not imputing their trespasses. See the word imputing. We stopped here last week. I want to show you a couple of examples this morning. This word imputing is a, a, a big long Greek word and it's logizomahi. Logizomahi. And it means to take an inventory or an infantry of something, to take a account. It means to estimate, to add up and to gather together. To take an account, to add up, to estimate, to gather together. Now with that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing not taking an inventory or an infantry, not adding up and counting up and gathering together, not taking an account nor estimating their trespasses. Did you see that? All of the sin that we had committed that we know of, we always think of the worst of things, whether it's been on alcohol or drugs or or fornication, or or whatever. But there, we're, our, our nature itself is a sinful nature. In other words, within us, even if even if we were to do our best, our very nature needed changed. The death in our nature needed changed. And God could take everything even that we don't even remember, from our youngest of days to our oldest of years, 
from all the, the things that we have failed at and fallen him against and we've done against him, everything could be piled up to a multitude and a great big mountain of sins and failures before God. And he could point the finger at me and he could point the finger at you and shout the, the, the proclamation over us, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. But we're told when we stepped into Christ, when we became reconciled unto God and Christ, When we received him, it says that God did not take that estimation of our sins and God did not add it all up and God did not and has not nor will not the idea count it all against me and on that day when I stand before him say, Ken Davidson, you're guilty. He will not do that for he has not imputed my trespasses unto me. But what did he do with them, brother? What did he do with them, sister? Let me tell you what he did with them. He counted them against his son. And he put them upon him. And nailed them to the cross. And nailed him to the tree. And so I go free. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he took my sin. Upon the tree. Turn with me to Romans please. Book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. Just a few verses to show. The strength of this word. There's a little theme here we'll go through. Romans chapter 4 please. Let your eye just run down for time's sake. To verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man... Unto whom God imputeth, there's the word, righteousness without works. Now there's the word again. David said, the man whom God does not impute his sins to, but imputes righteousness. He says, he's a blessed man. Read the next verse, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman whom the Lord will not gather up all their thought life. Blessed is the man and the woman whom the Lord will not gather up all their waywardness and all their feelings and all their fallings and all their nature that's within them and the the times are even sinning with importunity and and sinning in an open course of sin when you know it and other times when you don't even realize it. He says, well, if you can get rid of that, you're a real blessed man. You're a real blessed woman. But David says that the Lord does not impute it. In other words, we cannot get rid of our sin unless it's placed somewhere else. That mountain... That mountain is probably bigger than the universe itself, as it were. That mountain of our, of our feelings before God, a holy God. That big mountain of sin that's on our shoulders every day before we come to Christ. That big mountain was placed in Christ. Placed in him, in his own body, on the tree. And when the Father looked at him in Calvary, 
When the Father looked at him on Calvary's cross, and the sky turned black, we're told, the wrath of God was poured out upon his Son. Justice had been meted out. Penalty was paid. And God was satisfied with what his Son had accomplished. He took my sin and my sorrow and made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Brother, this is a reason I'm bringing you through, sister, through this little word, because you need to understand to strengthen you in your faith. You need to understand when you're a human, when you're weak, when your humanity shines through your spirituality. Come on, let's be honest about it now. We're all the same. You need to understand your God is already. The Lord Jesus Christ, his son has already taken all of your sin and paid for it in full. And that you can come to this throne of grace. There's an open heaven for you. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. You're born again of the spirit. You're washed in the blood. And when we come to obtain mercy, remember when we do not receive that which we do deserve, we obtain that. We, we lay hold and realize we deserve stuff, but we're not, we're not going to receive it. That's mercy. We obtain mercy and we find grace. The, the light bulb, as it were, comes on and we realize God, you're so good to me. You're so great. You're so compassionate, Father, and kind. Your heart is so big toward me. We find grace. We realize in our spirits and in our minds and in our hearts, you do still love me. You will still accept me. I can still come before you. I can still minister unto you, O Lord. And the, the grace of God is keeping us and washing over us. We find grace to help a time of spiritual or a season of spiritual need when we're really down and out when we're really low and weak when we feel there's no light at the end of the tunnel fear has maybe gripped your heart and there's a there, there's circumstances that surround your life it's that time we say lord i know i've been weak in this or i know i've been i've been tried sore but oh God, I'm coming to you again, knowing that you love me, Father, for I am your child and I am in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's understanding it, Christian. And getting it into you. That's why we're taking our time. Getting it into you. That the moment you step back to God, that the moment you turn your mind to Him, that the moment you go into the place of prayer, that the moment you shut the closet door or walk a field or wherever you're going and you turn your eyes toward Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord, he's there and the heavens are opened and you're at the throne of grace. And he washes over you with his love. You're accepted in the beloved. You're deeply loved. You're highly favored in God. Notice this word. David says in verse 6, 
Paul writes, quoting David, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The blessedness of righteousness, imputed righteousness. The same word, only God looks at your righteousness and mine. And he tells us in the book of Isaiah that it's as filthy rags before him. That's what your works look like to God, a filthy rag. Filthy rag. The purification of a woman in the Old Testament on a, on a menstrual cycle. There was a time to set her aside for the woman was classes unclean then before she came back to her husband, as it were. And that's the idea of the filthy rag. It's that which needs set aside. That's what that means there. And God looks at it and says, your works to me, your goodness of your own heart to me. He looks at it and he says, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to God. Well, what righteousness does he calculate? And what righteousness does he compute? And what righteousness does he add up? What righteousness does he gather together as a case as it were for us to make us righteous that we may be righteous in his sight? Where, where is this adding together of what, of what righteousness if we cannot all of our righteousness together is just like filthy rags before him? Let me tell you where it's found. He looks at the life He looks at the ministry, the sinless life, the miraculous ministry, and he looks at the death of his son. Kept the law we couldn't keep, lived a life that we couldn't live. Righteous before his father, I come to do thy will, O God. Lo, I am come in the volume of the book it is written of me, he says. And he's nailed to the cross. And he takes his righteousness and he adds it together and he computes it up and he takes an inventory of it and he gathers it together as an evidence and a culmination of it all and he places it upon me and upon you. And when he looks at you, when he looks at you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, He sees the righteousness of Christ. But I've sinned and fell. I'm so sorry, Lord. He still sees you in his son. He still sees you as his child. And he says, come to me and let's reason together, saith the Lord. The imputed righteousness... David says, it's without works. You can't work it up. You can't give for it. You can't pay for it. He says, and you're blessed if you have it. My Christian, understand this morning when you leave here, when you walk out those doors, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, you mean 
that there's no sin on me, even though I fail you. When you look at me, are you telling me, Father, that even though I've went wayward, that I'm still your child? That I'm still righteous that you look at me through him? And the, the answer back to you is yes, yes, and a thousand yeses. Amen and amen, you are in him. Righteousness of God in Christ. Let me show you this little word again. Let's write run down to verse 20. Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This is what God had promised to Abraham. God would perform it, not Abraham. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. What was imputed to Abraham? What was counted up and gathered together and laid upon Abraham? His faith in the word of God. His faith to the promises of God. His faith that God would perform it when he couldn't. He was, he was 90 and in 100 by the time he had had his first child. And God says, I have made thee already in the mind of God it was done. I have made thee a father of many nations. And Abraham's saying, but I haven't even got a son. I haven't got any children. But if you've said it, Lord, looking at the face and into the face of the impossible, then if you've said it, you'll perform it. It's not up to me. I leave it with you. And God says, son, I count that as righteous. So if you and I are in Christ, and you're going through this terrible time or a storm, and you're going through a real rough patch. And you come and you say, Father, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but this is what I know. That I'm your child and you said that you'll carry me. That you've said that no weapon that's formed against me will prosper. That I'm going through the other side. That I'm coming out. That I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. That I'm victorious in Jesus. So, Father, if, since you've said it to me, I believe it. That settles it. You'll bring it to pass. And rest in it. That's righteous in God's eyes. It's counted to you, the faith of it. Father, I'm praying for the sick. Because your son took that on his body. Imputing, imputing, imputation. Not amputation, I imputation. Let's go on, just another verse. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 23. Now it, is, it, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, notice, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And what is the, what is the, the word of God telling us here? What is Paul saying? He says, this is for you this morning. If you believe that Christ has paid your penalty of sin and you cannot work for it and you receive him, that's salvation by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast, as Paul says. That's receiving by faith and believing it. He has done it all, paid it all. I need do nothing. Just believe, receive, and walk in it. He says, it's for us this morning when we serve the Lord. To believe we're righteous in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And we are in him. Turn over 
briefly. We've another couple of verses and we'll round this up and that's it. The Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, please. Let's write on down to verse 17. Staying on the, the theme of Abraham. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac that he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now notice, when we went back to Romans 4, what we were told? That the Lord had promised Abram or Abraham a, 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 to be a father of many nations. He hadn't even had a son yet, but he believed God would bring it to pass. Now he has a son, and he has his chosen son in Isaac, the word comes to him, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. The Lord says, out of, Isaac's, out of Isaac's descent, out of his loins, will come forth this many nations, which we know has already happened today. And he says, when we look at this, now the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go and offer him up on Mount Moriah for a burnt offering to me. You'll find it in Genesis 22. You can read it when you go home. And whenever he says that, Abraham has a choice. Do I still believe God? Do I still believe that God has told me that he'll perform this? But yet the one he's told me in whom the seed would be called, who is Isaac, he says, if I kill him, does that not make God's word null and void? Lord, it doesn't make sense. God says, just do it and trust me. Brother, just do what he says and trust him. Sister, just do what he says and trust him, believe him, and he'll bring it to pass. So it wasn't just that Abraham was taking Isaac to put a knife in him and to offer him for a, a sacrifice. He was to burn his body. He was to burn him to ashes. Think about this. We always talk about the sacrifice of Isaac, but it was to burn his body after the sacrifice. God says, now go, kill your son. Offer him for a sacrifice. That was common in those days as well, where there was other faiths offered up their children. But Isaac was quite a, a, a young man at this time. And he says, put in the knife, then burn his body. Now, Lord, you told me that in Isaac my seed would be called. Lord, you said, your word said that I was going to be a father. You've already made me a father of many nations. It's in your mind. It's good as done. See what God has promised you and I, brothers and sisters, about heaven and the kingdom of God? It's already there. It's already done. We're just pilgrims traveling through until we reach there. God's already there. God's here, yet he's in heaven. He's with your loved one this morning. He's where your loved one is, maybe in a sick bed. He's with someone who's having a time of rest on a holiday, who love him. He's all around this world in every part of the universe. And he's in, he transcends time and space. And the Lord says, Abraham, do you trust me? Take Isaac's lamb and offer him for a burnt offering. You said it, Lord, I'll do it. Travels three days, takes him up Mount Moriah. And we're told that there was a ram caught in the thicket. In fact, if you read Genesis 22 when you go home, he actually says, I'm paraphrasing for time's sake without having to read it, it actually tells us that he was to go to the mountain range 
There was a, a mountain range there. And Abraham didn't know which peak to take. There was different peaks on it. He says, what one will I take, basically? And the Lord says, I will show you the mountain. Do you know why? If he left the choice to Abraham, he might have went up the wrong mountain. As Abraham was climbing up one side of the mountain with Isaac to sacrifice, there was a ram God had already ordained coming up the other side of the mountain. You see, you might be climbing up your side of the mountain, trusting in God, but you're weary and you're weak and you're tired and you're said, how long, O oh Lord, and I'm trusting in you every day. And up the other side is your answer, brother. It's your answer, sister. You just haven't arrived there yet. And there was the ram caught in the thickets by his horns. So this is what the story is, that he had to not only kill Isaac, but burn him, turn him to ash. Do you know what it tells me in the faith of Abraham? He says, Father, I'm going to do this. Because even if I kill him, burn him, and he goes to ash and powder, you will still raise him up. You will still perform your word. In my mentality, and in my uh, visuality, in my impossibility, God, you are able. Your word will never change, Lord. And Abraham knew he would raise him from the ash and the dust. That's the faith. That's faith. And that was counted, calculated, imputed to Abraham. Became known as the friend of God. So, I want to finish with this. Thank you for your attention. It says here of verse 18, Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up. See the word accounting? It's the same word in the Greek New Testament for imputing. It's the same word for imputing there. God looked at, or Abraham rather, looked at his God. And he seen him bring to pass when he was 100 and Sarah was 90, a child that they didn't have. He looks back and he says, Lord, look what you have done. Look at the way you've brought me out of Ur of the Chaldees. Look at the way you've given me, you've blessed me, you've protected me, you've kept me, you've helped me, you've strengthened me. And he looks at it and he looks at all that he has and he counts it all up to whom his God is, uh, the, the majesty of his God, the living God, your God and my God. And he accounts it and he says, since I know who you are, then who you are, and all you are is more than able to raise Isaac from the ashes. That's what that means. Abraham used God and he could do exploits as Daniel said in a later date. Brothers and sisters, if you and I get an idea of who our God is, a fresh idea, a fresh revelation, a fresh eye-opener of him, a fresh remembrance of him, of all that he's done and all he can do and who he is, you and I will realize something. That he can do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. That we are righteous in him. That we are loved by him. That you're highly favored in him. 
And here's where we finish with this. We are told to come to the throne of grace. For there's a great high priest there. For this great God understands us. As we have read this morning. But as a man. So he knows us. But as a man he understands us. There's a man in the glory praying for you. The Lord Jesus Christ. He says would you come to me this morning. Come to me. For now is the accepted time. Will you come? God bless his word. God willing. We'll look at it again next week. God bless you all.